is to set in order that it might happen. And I thought during the week of a beautiful old hymn called Just As I Am, and one verse goes, Just as I am, um, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within without, O Lamb of God, I come. And that sentence, so that, that line, fightings and fears within without, has got to describe how millions of people are waking up today. Whether or not they know the Lord, if we own the realities of how we feel, there are fightings and fears within without. And our focus is very much and rightly on um, the, the pandemic and what it's doing, the decimation that it's causing and what's going on in Afghanistan. But Myanmar is a place of immense injustice. And we pray as a church constantly for Ethiopia. And we've got situations just boiling over around the world as a result of wealth disparity. So the world is trembling and we are part of it. What is a measured response? Um, we are not to park at the place of trouble. We're not to park at the place of fightings and fears within without. We are not spiritually impotent even in this time of immense confusion. In fact, during the week I decided I'm not heartbroken, my heart has snapped. I think it's just playing with words, but it felt good. So let's see what 1 Peter has to give us um, as a good response. I'm just going to assume it'll work. I've got, a num I've got numbers. Can you just pop the next, Reuben, maybe just press the button to get the next scripture up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. This is our measured response. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Next slide. Thanks, Reuben. Um, so here we have that look from 1 Peter 5. First of all, what is happening in the world right now has been happening for all of time. Satan is prowling, Satan is destroying, and people are suffering all over the world. So what is our response to be? And this is real stuff. This actually, the word works. This works. We are to be self-controlled. We are to stay alert. We resist the evil one, and we stand firm in our faith. And I'll be revisiting some of that shortly. Um, so this morning what we're going to do is put some shape around this moment in time by going to a grand psalm, Psalm 149. So I'm going to read it to you and you can follow it with me. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. And make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honour and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory 
of all his saints. Praise the Lord. There's a little backstory to why this psalm is in my sights. And I'm going to read verbatim from my father's writings. He wrote, When speaking on this psalm in a lecture room of the Hobart University in 1984, I made emphasis of the fact that the word let occurs six times in the King James Version. I gave it the usual interpretation, to allow, to permit or to encourage. There happened to be a professor from the university present. In speaking with him at the conclusion of the meeting, he kindly pointed out to me that there was a deeper meaning in the original text, that let meant set in order that it might happen. I thank the professor and from that time when dealing with this psalm, I have used his wider and more meaningful interpretation. To set in order that it may happen meant a more wholehearted approach to warfare along with an expectancy that something would take place. That's why we say we don't have an impotent faith. Something does take place. So here are these let verses um, with this expanded meaning. Set in order the singing of a new song that it may happen. Set in order being joyful in our king that it may happen. Set in order praising his name with the dance that it may happen. Set in order singing praises to him with the timbrel and harp that it may happen. Set in order being joyful in glory that it may happen. Set in order singing aloud on our beds that it may happen. Set in order high praises of God in our mouth that it may happen. And straight off you're realising that what we have here looks a whole lot like worship. All of those words, they speak of triumph and of victory, whether they are expressed corporately or individually, triumph and victory. And there is to be no edge of defeatism or gloom as we consider our role in the world at this precarious time. The Christian faith is not toothless. We can find an air current of triumph and victory that will hold us steady. And that air current is found in the place of worship. So when I say worship, what am I meaning? It's every God would cry from our heart. It's every prayer and it's every travail. It's every recognition that he is God and that we have removed ourselves from the throne of our own will and heart. It's every measure of creativity that reflects the artistry of the creator. And yes, it is the sound of song. But according to Psalm 149, matters don't stop there. There is an it that is meant to happen. The psalm goes on to speak of a two-edged sword being in our hand, that vengeance is executed on the nations and punishment on the peoples, that kings are bound with chains and nobles with fetters of iron, and that the written sentence is carried out against them. And I can't wait for Josh to get into Revelation. Uh, There'll be some of this. I'm not giving him a job. I just think it's going to come up. The it is warfare. It is the overthrow of evil. So what is going on here? From Old Testament commentators, and I've chosen, I've read several, um, but I've chosen Kiel and Delich. Uh, so I'm reading what they wrote in their commentary. The fathers are of the opinion 
that it is the wars and victories of the Maccabees that are here prophetically spoken of. Now I'm going to stop and just say, those people reading this in that time, they wouldn't have had any problem with the violence at all. So when they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and it's recorded in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, we read, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at the side as he worked. That is in scripture. They wouldn't have had any trouble understanding or embracing the violence that we have just read. Now let me get back to what Kiel and Delich say. The New Testament spiritual church cannot pray as the Old Testament national church prays here. Psalm 149 has become the watchword of the most horrible errors. It was by means of this psalm that Caspar Sclopius inflamed the Roman Catholic princes to the 30 years religious war. And I looked that up. That was from 1618 to 1648. And in that time, the estimation is between four and a half and eight million people lost their lives in the name of Psalm 149. And that uh, 60% of some parts of Germany uh, were decimated. And then they go on to say, and in the Protestant church, Thomas Munzer stirred up the war of the peasants by means of this psalm. Uh, that was 100 years earlier, and between 100 and 300,000 people lost their lives. And when you think about it, this is 400 and 500 years ago. Eight million is a lot of people. So they finish by saying this, when we see that the Christian, sorry, we see that the Christian cannot make such a psalm directly his own without disavowing the apostolic warning of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And as I was reading these statistics, the thought came to me that the God of justice knows exactly where all of those bodies lie. Deaths through religious fervour still have his attention. We may not have Caspar Scalopius or Thomas Munzer on our doorstep, but we have their spirit of hatred and distorted religion on our doorstep and God is watching and I say again, he knows where the bodies lie. So what is our response to this? What is our response? I asked my mentor, I've mentioned her standing here a few times, Dr. Lois Burkett. Many years ago I said to her, what is spiritual warfare? And she said to me, it is to stand, to stand. But it's not as passive as that sounds. I think of Josh's phrase of a couple of years ago that we as citizens are to be loyal and subversive. On the one hand, loyalty holds us steady as solid citizens. But on the other, knowing what God can do through our worship is how we subvert every wicked intention to bring society down. We don't attack in the, in the physical realm. Our fight is in the spirit realm. We can recall from our study in Ephesians last year, from Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I don't understand this, but what I know to be true is that the spirit realm is more real than the chairs that we are sitting on. One of my indigenous sisters, sisters said to me many years ago, you whiteies don't see them, but we darkies, we see them walking. Our response to what is going on is not to be militant or aggressive. It is to believe with every fibre of our being that we can and do impact the spirit realm. A man called Warren Wisby, a contributor to the Bible exposition commentary of the Old Testament, writes this, to ignore, trivialise it, turn it into, sorry, to ignore worship, trivialise it, turn it into entertainment or make, make it a routine activity is to play right into the hands of the enemy. It is an honour to serve in the Lord's army of worshipping warriors. I just love that. So put it this way. When we set in order the posture of rejoicing, victory and worship, whether corporately or individually, what we're doing is we are releasing the power of God into the atmosphere. We're releasing it into the situation and as a result, we are shifting the balance of power. And I then want to add this, that when our worship comes at personal cost, whatever form it takes, something will shift. When our prayers aren't answered as we hoped they would be, when they're not answered in the time frame that we hoped, and yet we dare say, you are Lord, you are risen from the dead, and you are Lord, the grip of the evil one is weakened. And when sorrows assail us and we still manage even feebly to say that this, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the grip of the evil one is weakened. Again, with the privilege of a little relaxed time, um, our life group is, uh, we're very close and we pray through some pretty heavy stuff. And there are some things that we're praying into where just a simple, um, you know, be solved in Jesus' name isn't quite cutting it. Um, and some time ago, I realised rather than fight that big thing, what I pray is for the grip of the evil one to be loosened. Because some of these strongholds are so big, you know, it's, it's like us going up to the ocean and saying, be parted. That only happened a couple of times in the story of humanity. Let's pick what we can do. What I can say is for the grip of the evil one to be weakened. So I think we need to be... I'm confident in asking God, how do we pray about this? What's the way we tackle something as great as annihilations of entire people? Armenia, we were praying into Armenia not that long ago. Absolute genocides, the wiping out of people. I was doing some work in Belarus a few years ago and one of the young men who was interpreting for me took me to an area where literally... Jews were thrown live into a pit. I'm sorry, there are young people sitting here. Uh, my apologies, parents. I, I didn't kind of twig when I just thought I'd riff on this a bit. But he said, for years later, this is now a memorial. It's a shrine. It was just takeouts, takeouts. I can't pray into that spirit, but I can pray, oh, God, loosen the grip. Loosen the grip. 
So, and, and for those of us who know what it's like for the frustrations of unanswered prayer, but also for the disciplines of never letting that prayer go. And that's, I, I don't know, I don't know that I can much shift a wart, but I tell you what, you ask me to pray for something and I'll grab that thing by a tail and I won't give up. I think God is looking for people who have tenacity in prayer, hanging on to a story and not letting it go until we see victory. When, pers- when worship comes at a personal cost, our spirits are strengthened and we are fortified for the journey. But more so, the journey now starts to veer away from doom and disaster. I believe that worship resets. For a start, it takes the focus of ourselves and off our dilemmas. But every time we lift our voices in prayer, we are repositioning the power base of our lives from our own frantic and limited efforts, and we're delivering it into the hands of a just and mighty God. From our most formal liturgical prayers to our prayers that are squeezed out through the sounds of deep sobbing, we are worshipping God and he is listening and he knows what he is doing and he knows what to do with the power that we have released. We can be here together singing our songs of worship or we can be lying on our beds exhausted by life, barely knowing what to say or even unsure about who we're addressing but God is exalted in it all. Here's the question that I've asked myself over and over. What does this fight against darkness actually look like? And the answers that I've come up with over the years have varied. I think a good answer is where we can, we speak truth to power. We're not impotent. Where we can, we function as thoughtful and caring citizens. I was talking to Charles in between these two services. We said, you know, when, it's, when there's a need for healing, we pray and we go to a doctor. We do everything we know to do. We have voices and they are to be used. Yet all answers that I've ever come up with track back to this unalterable truth that yelling at the dark never shifts the dark. Darkness is dispelled when we turn on a light. And that is what setting the worship of God in place will always do. Thank you, Cam, and your team. I conclude with this. At this time, it isn't our fight. We're in trouble when we make it our fight. It is his fight, and he has already won. He holds the keys of hell and of death. And our role is to unleash the kind of worship that unlocks the power of God to rattle those keys. In a nutshell, our gift to each other and to the globe is for us to stay at our post as worshipping warriors.